our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he's really glad that the card broker's ascendancy is not a broken ascendancy. It's Matt Morgan. So a friend of mine had a bakery and business was doing really well until the bakery burnt down. And now all of his business is just toast. I'm I'm really sorry to hear that, or I'm really appetized to hear that. I can't I can't tell which. I mean, the, there's no sense in loafing around. We may as well just move on because it's kind of a sensitive subject. <laughs> that's that's great, Matt. I love that. Up next, he's sorry he's late. Someone cast endless detour on his car. It's Dana Roach. Guess who has two thumbs and owes money to three different New Capenna crime families. This guy? No, uh, the answer is nobody, because nobody who owes money to the mob keeps both their thumbs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Putting the thumb screws we, down. Wow, we went places here. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we love to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, do you mind telling us what it is that we're talking about in this week's episode? We're going to talk about Commanders that hate staples. <laughs> yes, the store staples. They don't right. like going to the store staples. <laughs> those, those little metal things that hold pieces of paper together. They, they I would say by, by the time binders or or, or <laughs> rubber bands. Well, it's, and by the time this episode comes out, like staples will have been gone by for years. <laughs> right. By then, just out of business. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we are talking about the commanders that don't like those, quote, staple cards in EDH, those super uber mega popular cards that show up in decks all over the place. We're going to dig into the data to see which commanders specifically prefer not to play those on purpose and why that might be the case. It should be really interesting. Real quick, before we get to our main topic, let's pause and thank Chase, aka Mana Curves, for assisting us with the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. The EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. They're like treasure tokens that can be sacrificed for two mana. <laughs> Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card you wish to purchase. Choose the vendor link down below. And doing that supports both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. You can join this neat little club that we have going on there over on our Discord community. Or you can look at all the historic challenge stats picks that we've done. There's so many different perks you can get for yourself and supporting the show directly. You can do all this and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. And there's even that special tier where we give a shout out to a listener every single week. And so this week we want to give a very special shout out to Chris Edmonds. So Chris, thank you so much for all of your support. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, there's there's no joke for for you here. There's no pun on your name because we just, we're just going to move on and appreciate you all the more. 
No, no pun on the name, I think is a sign of how much we do appreciate it, Chris. All right, let's get into our main topic here. We are talking about the commanders that don't play staples. And right off the bat, we are going to uh, give you a few caveats to how this episode will go down because there's a lot to get through. Um, specifically the actual data that we're looking for, we're trying to find reasons like what are the commanders that specifically look at a Teferi's protection and say, nah, what are the commanders that look at Cultivate and go, I don't want to play that? What are the commanders that see a soul ring? And they're just like, yeah, that isn't for me. Like that is what we're after. But we have to set some ground rules or else it'll be kind of confusing. So specifically for this episode, we do kind of have to ignore commanders that have too few decks. It's not intentionally avoiding a staple if like the nine Autumn Willow decks aren't playing a Teferi's Protection, you know? Another rule that we're going to kind of apply here is we're maybe going to not talk about every single staple just because a lot of them are just expensive. So we might skip over a few of them for the sake of this episode because, yeah, a lot of people aren't playing some certain cards because they're $60. And yes, if it were 20 cents, everybody would be playing it. That's obvious. So <laughs> for the sake of price and just repeating ourselves because people aren't playing this card because it's expensive, we will skip a few cards in, in favor of that instead. Our list of staples here come from EDH Rec's uh, top cards page for each color. We also can't spend two hours on every episode, so we had to be choosy here. Um, <laughs> if there's a card that you think is a staple we don't talk about, that's probably why. We just kind of had to do a lot of picking and choosing. Yes, yeah. We uh, As fun as it would be to do a two-hour episode deep dive, the numbers would probably end up being a little bit too much for everyone there. So we are going to uh, be choosy about the stuff here that we talk about, but they are the things that we're getting from EDH Rec's top cards page for each color. So... I guess let's actually just go ahead and dive right in. And we're going to start with the cards that can go anywhere. We're going to start specifically with some colorless stuff. Let's talk about Command Tower and which decks choose on purpose not to play Command Tower. Why would they choose not to do that? Well, obviously, we know that monocolor decks are generally not going to play Command Tower and colorless decks also are not going to play Command Tower. For example, you know, a Kozilek Butcher of Truth deck has no need for a land that taps for any color in its commander's color identity because it's colorless deck. It doesn't need those. Um, but barring that, let's actually look at commanders that would have a reason to play it. They are multiple colors. Dana, what's one of the commanders that doesn't play Command Tower and why? The first one that jumps out here is Pylath World Sculptor. 817 total decks and only 346 play it. So just over 42% of those decks are actually running Command Tower. And Pyleth is a two-color deck, so there's less need for fixing there. And it's also a landfall deck, so this is a deck that's going to be filled with a bunch of cards that go get you more lands. You're just, for the most part, not going to need the utility Command Tower brings, and you're probably going to need a lot of basic lands for all the landfall stuff you're doing. doing. So Pyleth and basically any kind of landfall commander makes sense. You might want to omit Command Tower. Well, and Phyleth specifically cares about having as many basic lands as possible, so there's even more reason for this landfall commander not to use it. Well, and another commander that stands out to me, too, is Yorn, God of Winter. Uh, so, obviously, having a three colors in a Yorn deck might be kind of handy to have a command tower around, but Yorn specifically cares about snow permanence, and so you probably want to be maximizing the amount of snow lands that you have in the deck, mm. which is why it's not showing up in too many decks. Uh, of the 1,841 decks... Only 61% of them are playing that, which is, that's a very, very high clip, but you also can't really maximize Command Tower and, and being able to have all your lands untapping. So you might want to reconsider Command Tower. I know it feels very, very weird saying you may not want Command Tower in your three-color deck. I, I'm fully aware of that, but <laughs> if you're looking to maximize Yorn's abilities, then you probably want to be taking a second look at if, if you're playing Command Tower in that. 
Yeah, if only they made a snow-covered command tower for the snow deck to be able to take advantage snow, of. Snow doesn't oh. need any more help, though. Let's let's be real. <laughs> for real. Uh, okay, so there we have command tower. Let's move now to some artifacts, specifically looking at lightning greaves. Which decks choose not to play lightning greaves? Well, this one was actually a pretty obvious answer. Basically, every Planeswalker commander doesn't care about lightning greaves. From Will and Rowan Kenrith to Lord Windgrace, these are the types of commanders that just were like, I don't need the protection. I can't wear these shoes, so I'm not going to even bother. The only exception to this was the Nahiri Planeswalker, because that's an equipment deck, so it actually cares about equipment. Although even some equipment decks choose not to play Lightning Grave sometimes too. But yeah, the Planeswalker commanders definitely stand out as the types of decks that do not care to put Lightning Greaves into their 99. If we wanted to dig as far down as possible, though, and find the first commander that isn't a Planeswalker commander that is still choosing not to play Lightning Greaves, that one turns out to be kind of a doozy. It's Yorion Sky Nobad, the blue-white blink commander. It's only showing up in 2% of Yorion decks. So yeah, Yorion doesn't care about the boots because I guess it's not going to spend a lot of time in play to wear them ever. Well, and it's also a situation where you don't want your other creatures wearing greaves that's preventing you from blinking those creatures as well. <laughs> True. Um, that, that's usually my thought process because I like lightning greaves. It's a great card. But I look at my deck and think, does my commander want me to target it? And do I have multiple things in the deck that I want to want to be able to target? And if the answer is yes, lightning greaves usually doesn't make the cut. So it's it's almost always a matter of lightning greaves actively causing problems in the deck versus the, the commander just maybe not needing it. Yeah, or even sometimes if you're very heavy on a Voltron type of strategy, maybe Lightning Greaves isn't the best because if you only reliably have one creature out, then you can't put even more of those Voltron pieces onto your commander. So that would also be another situation where you don't want to always just default to Lightning Greaves. Well, and Arcane Signet is the next card that we're going to talk about, which is hailed by many as possibly one of the best mana rocks of all time. It's two mana to add, tap to add one mana of any color of your commander's color identity, which is... That takes care of everything that you could ever need right there. It comes down early, fixes your colors. It's pretty great, but there are some commanders that possibly don't want to be looking at that. Demon Lord Belzenlock specifically probably doesn't want Arcane Signets. There's 151 decks out there, and only 11% of Demon Lord Belzenlock decks are playing that because D the Belzenlock cares a lot about being able to maximize that enter the battlefield ability of his. Yeah, he flips cards off the top of the deck and he wants to find bigger and bigger cards from your library. So if you have a bunch of small mana rocks, like they will be efficient, but they will stop his ability in its tracks. And he wants to get you as many cards in his hand as possible. So yeah, it's kind of interesting that this ends up being a commander that specifically doesn't want to play those efficient mana rocks. And this is just one such example. Um, it's also certainly noteworthy that a lot of mono green commanders showed up on this list too, but like Mono Green has so many other ramp options, they're kind of like, eh, the artifact, I don't really need it. But looking further along those non-green options and also those non-colorless options, you know, the same rules apply for Command Tower. A colorless deck can't get any use out of Arcane Signet. Matt, I think you've even challenged the stats on that one before. But another one that stuck out here was SRAM Senior Edificer, which draws you cards when you play equipment or auras. Only 26% of SRAM decks are playing Arcane Signet. And I think the answer here is just that like SRAM is so famous for being a Cheerios deck where it plays a bunch of zero mana artifacts, especially zero mana equipment, that it doesn't need any mana fixing at all because it's just churning through its deck super duper fast. In talking mana rocks, we probably should move on and talk about the kind of mother of all mana rocks, which is Soul Ring. Mm. <laughs> you would think Soul Ring would go in every deck, and I guess a case could be made for it, but not every deck tends to run Soul Ring. Um, the first one that jumps out here is Nikia of the Old Ways. 1,266 total decks, only 244 play it, so less than 20%. 
And in this particular commander, it makes sense since literally the first line of text in the text box is, you can't cast non-creature spells. So, <laughs> you know, unless you happen to have that card in your hand the first couple turns of the game before your commander's in the field, it's literally unplayable. So that's that's the kind of thing we're going to see in this list, talking about decks that don't want Soul Ring. Demon Lord Belzenlock comes up again. Oh, true. Just like with Arcane Signet, it's a commander that that wants to run those larger spells, and only 35% of decks are playing even a card as great as Soul Ring in their list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could certainly make the argument that these commanders do still want to play Soul Ring, but there are strategical reasons why they might not. Um, I'll just really briefly throw out that Sasaya Orochi Ascendant here is another that also is not playing Soul Ring all that often, only about 24% of the time, because that is a commander that needs as many forests in the deck as possible. So you could certainly say these commanders should still play it, but these are, in these cases, commanders that aren't. And that's uh, an interesting thing to see. Although, you know, even the one that was playing it the least amount of the time was still playing it like 19% of the time. Right. <laughs> so it is certainly a big ubiquitous card. But that wraps up our artifacts. Let's move on now to our, our mono colors, to each individual color. But we'll actually have to do one more quick caveat before we get to those because we will have to make another uh, disclaimer here that we are discounting a lot of five color commanders away from the conversation when it comes to the uh, monocolored staples. And that sounds egregious at first, but honestly, you don't want to hear us talk about Niv-Mizzet Reborn for the rest of this episode. Niv-Mizzet Reborn is a five-color commander that cares about two-color cards in the deck. So whenever we looked at the data for any one of these cards, that one constantly popped up. And the same was true for several other five-color decks. But you know, it just it wouldn't be fun for us to talk about the same commanders over and over and over again. So there is that caveat. And also, if we talk about a creature card, we should also probably point out that we're excluding tribal considerations here, too. You know, for example, it's not a revelation that an elf tribal deck doesn't play Eternal Witness, which is a human. So we want to find the decks that have strategical reasons, not just tribal reasons or five color reasons. So I know that's a lot, but OK, let's just get on to it. Matt, can you talk about white cards and take the microphone away from me? Sure, I, I definitely can. So the first card we're going to talk about in white is going to be to Fairy's Protection, arguably one of the best spells that white has to offer. Three mana to phase you and everything else out. It's pretty potent. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, and yeah, pretty much any deck that I ever built at least wants to consider playing Teferi's Protection. It's just such a great card. But there are some decks that maybe want to avoid it strategically. Uh, Teneb the Harvester is one that comes to mind. It's the uh, absent colored big old dragon. And there's there's some strategy in there that maybe you don't want to be phasing everything out because you need everything to be happening and, and, and you want to be seeing everything. Oh yeah, Teneb is a little reanimator dragon. So actually I can totally see a reason why this deck wouldn't feel the need to go out of its way to go and get a Teferi's Protection. Like in, instead of phasing myself out, if I were a Teneb player, I could just sacrifice all of my own stuff instead, and then it will be there safely in my graveyard for me to mass reanimate it with like a Twilight's Call later on. So if I'm playing reanimator, I might not be in need of something that's going to protect my whole board because I can, quote, protect my board by sacrificing it and reanimating everything again on a later turn. Yeah, and that's pretty much what we're seeing here with, with the Teferi's Protection list. It's, it's commanders that do a really specific thing that kind of makes that ability almost a negative to a degree. To now being a perfect example, you want that stuff in your graveyard. Well, and an interesting one to me, at least, is Shu Yun's Silent Tempest. Uh, it's a spell slinger deck. It's back from Fate Reforged, where you can give Shu Yun double strike and, and has prowess. But I can see why you wouldn't want to be playing Teferi's Protection, because you want all of your spells to be able to trigger Shu Yun. And if you're casting Teferi's Protection, like, yes, it'll, it'll trigger prowess and you can give it double strike. But then your whole board goes away and your combat step is all for naught. 
Yeah, yeah. Only 6% of Shuyun decks are playing it. This strikes me as a commander where you can use much cheaper spells to protect your one important Voltrani creature for that deck, and you can do it on a much better budget than Teferi's Protection will ever need you to do. Absolutely. So that totally makes sense. Uh, let's move now from Teferi's Protection, one big bat in the room, to Smothering Tithe. Matt, are there any commanders that choose on purpose to not go out of their way to go get a Smothering Tithe and make all those treasures? Yeah, well, so the interesting one to me and just at first glance, looking at the list, is Obun, Moldaya Ancestor. That's the landfall commander from the Zendikar Rising Precons. And Obun is so heavy into the landfall abilities that maybe just devoting a card, not that Smothering Tithe isn't still going to be very, very powerful in Obun decks. Obun wants to spend as much time as possible focusing on those landfall abilities and then also making Obun fairly large at the same time because Obun's first ability makes lands as big as Obun's power is. So maybe you just don't have space for kind of one of those extra utility type of enchantments that Smothering Tithe falls into when you're in a landfall deck. It also on this list, we have uh, Hamza, Guardian of uh, Rashin, um, the Elephant Warrior, who cost one less to cast for each creature you control with a plus one counter on it. And creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each creature you control with a plus one counter on it. And in this case, I'm going to assume this is a commander that's so heavily invested in doing creature things and wanting everything to be built around running creatures that it's just not running Smothering Tithe or probably a lot of enchantments because it's trying to do as many things as possible using actual bodies. Well, and its own ability makes all of your stuff so much cheaper that the excess mana, it kind of doesn't care. All of your creature spells are already discounted. So why go out of your way for like a, what, $40 card when you don't really need to do that? So yeah, I can totally see why that would be the case. And I think that moves us into the next two, the most ultimate white staple cards, Sword Supply Shares and Path to Exile, the one mana removal spells that are super famous. I think Sword Supply Shares shows up in like over half of decks that can use it. It might even be closer to like 60% of decks that can use it. But which commanders choose on purpose not to play it? They're kind of strange. Uh, Cathral Aspect Warper specifically avoids Swords to Plowshares more than a lot of other commanders. Only 34% of Cathral decks uh, actually play it, and that's the Obzon commander that cares about having a lot of different types of keywords. And in terms of Path to Exile, it looks like a card like uh, Hinata doesn't tend to play Path to Exile all that much. Hinata being the Jeskai commander that discounts your spells that target stuff, only 15% of Hinata decks are playing Path to Exile. That's some pretty interesting stuff there. I think... In Hinata's case, I can see why it doesn't need this because it's using so many X removal spells like Curse of the Swine or other such removal effects that it doesn't need single target removal because it's removing the entire board every time it casts any spell at all. But the Cathral pick for Swords of Plowshares, that's kind of an interesting figure. Yeah, Cathral doesn't really have anything specific saying why you wouldn't want to play it. Uh, same as Gavi Nest Warden, only 34% of Gavi decks uh, are playing Swords of Plowshares, which to me seems a little out of out of whack seems a little sus because <laughs> it's just such a powerful and efficient removal spell that i don't know why you wouldn't want such an efficient card in your deck but gavi is also very very heavy on the cycling theme mm. so i could see why maybe you're just you're so hard into that that you don't have space for it but also me personally, I can't imagine not finding space for something so efficient to just bail you out of so many situations. Well, and that's a good point. Like, just because a, a, a card isn't showing up on these lists doesn't mean that maybe it still shouldn't be there. Um, I, I would guess, in the case of, you know, Gavi and Cathro, we're looking at a situation where something has to give. Like, there has to be some deck at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And just because it's running, a, you know, a few percentage points less than, than the decks that are running it that aren't on this list doesn't mean. 
it's a huge amount that are skewing. It doesn't have to be that many decks not running it to skew it. And if you are looking to jam as many keywords into your cash flow deck or as many cycling cards into your, your Gavi deck, it only takes, you know, a few people to not run it to kind of throw the numbers just enough to have it show up at the bottom of the list. So yeah. I, I tend to agree I would probably still be running Swords of False Shares and Path and all of those decks. It, it, like I said, it only takes a, a few things to, to twist those numbers just a little bit. Yeah, and, and even among those, these decks are still playing th- Swords of Pleasures at a rate of 34% inclusion. Right. <laughs> and even the Path to Exile was like 15%. So like right. those are some of the higher numbers we'll see among the cards that we talk about that people aren't playing in their decks. Like people still are. It's just these happened to be the least. Yep. That wraps us up with white. Let's move on now to blue. And Matt, you said that you wouldn't know why you would choose not to play some of those amazing white spells in your deck, but what do you think about Cyclonic Rift? Are there decks that would choose specifically not to play the amazing Cyclonic Rift? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, Cascade decks do not like playing uh, Cyclonic Rift all that much. For example, Emoti Celebrant of Bounty. There are about 1,200 Emoti decks uh, on the site, and only about 150 of them are using Cyclonic Rift. That's like about 12% inclusion rate. So you don't really want to use a Cascade deck because it would just then hit your uh, your Cyclonic Rift for two mana and it, you wouldn't get the full effect of the Rift. So Cascade decks have a reason not to play this blue staple. And one commander that also kind of stands out that I understand why now that I kind of reread the commander is Agar the Freezing Flame. That's the Is It Giant Wizard legend uh, that says whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess damage, if you control a giant wizard or the spell you control dealt damage this turn, you draw a card. Well, all of your board wipes, you just want to be damage-based. Mm. And so since Cyclonic Rift isn't dealing any damage, then yeah, Agar just wants to be casting Anger of the Gods or Burning of Zinyi <laughs> or any of those type of damage-based board wipes so that you can be able to draw cards or deal excess damage and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, you know, similarly, we have Raynar the Ever Watchful also running this in a lower percentage. And it's a commander that's that's wanting you to run foretell cards and it's wanting you to to exile cards from your hand. And at some point, again, if you are just trying to stack as many of those effects as possible, something gets left out. And in this case, it's going to be Rift, apparently. That should take us right on to Ristic Study, the very famous blue staple here, which draws a bunch of cards if your opponents aren't properly paying the tax. Which decks are choosing not to play Ristic Study? Well, in this case, mostly what we're seeing are decks that are very known to be super budget, especially stuff like Adelie's The Cinder Wind. That is a deck that you can play very, very cheap, and it also is full of so many cantrips, so many one-mana little spells here that pump up the entire Wizards with Adelie's effect that you don't need to go out of your way to get a Rhystic Study. There are only about 10% of Adelie's decks that are playing a Rhystic Study there. And another standout here is Kestia the Cultivator. Of the 500 Kestia decks out there, only like 47 are actually using a Rhystic Study in their deck, because that commander is drawing cards by playing enchantment creatures rather than needing a bunch of other enchantments to help it out. You know, Ristic could be good in those decks, but the commanders themselves are so efficient at doing their thing that they, they're not like, ah, I need that card. They're just like, ah, I, I can do without it. And I still draw plenty of cards. Thank you very much. Well, if you want to talk about commanders that are efficient at what they're doing, Zephy Thunder Conductor also is one of those that, to me, just, it doesn't really, okay, it, I am incorrect in saying it doesn't really need it, but it probably just, <laughs> it's just gravy at that point. And sometimes too much gravy is just too much. Exactly that. Because uh, Zephy just, you're getting so many rewards for doing instants and sorceries. It's just a spell slinger deck and having something kind of sit around and rely on your opponents to get you extra advantages. Zephy's casting 10 mana value instant sorceries. Chances are you might draw a card or two out of some of those massive spells. 
Yeah, if your commander's already drawing you a bunch of cards, it's probably pretty easy to cut the $40 enchantment. That probably makes it, the, that price tag probably makes Rustic Study pretty easy to drop off that list. So up next then, let's talk about the quintessential blue card in the EDH format. Matt, do you want to tell us about which commanders, much like you, hate Counterspell? Well, it's not that I don't appreciate Counterspell. I just don't appreciate when Counterspell is used against me specifically. So that <laughs> a little bit of nuance there. But uh, if we're going to look at commanders that don't play Counterspell all that often, Lear Disciple of the Drowned is one that's very interesting to me, especially when it's mono blue. Uh, so only 12% of Lear decks are playing it, but also the commander says exactly why Counterspell is not being played. Uh, so for three blue blue, you get a human wizard legend that says spells can't be countered. <laughs> well, there you go. If, you, if spells can't be countered, then why are you going to be running counterspell? Uh, now, it would be nice if you had the, the flashback, but you're just flashing back a dead card. So that kind of adds up to why Leer decks aren't playing probably the most iconic blue spell in the, in the format. Yeah, and looking at the, the list of, of decks that aren't running it, there's just more than a few here that are multicolored, meaning beyond two colors. Um, the double blue pips can be kind of challenging to leave up if you are playing a deck that is requiring three colors of mana and, and, def and isn't a draw-go one. It just can, can become a difficult counterspell to use, um, you know, even if you're me and you run <laughs> not enough basic lands and have a ton of utility lands. So I can feel your pain if you are playing say, a Gavi Nest Warden deck and just don't have ready access to double blue mana regularly. Or, once again, if you're playing a Cascade deck like Maelstrom Wanderer and you don't want to Cascade into a Counterspell and counter your own spell, which is the only thing currently on the stack. Cascade decks, again, probably don't want to be playing this two-mana instant. All right, that wraps us up for white, blue, and for artifacts. And we've got other colors yet to go, but... This has been a whole lot of stuff about these decks that aren't playing these staples, which means I think we need a brief reprieve from all of that. We need to talk about Challenge the Stats instead. This is our favorite segment here on the show because there's so much data on EDHREC, but sometimes we think that cards are over or underplayed, so we like to challenge those statistics in every episode. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What is your Challenge the Stats? My Challenge of Stats is for the card Rush of Knowledge. It's a sorcery for four and a blue that says draw cards equal to the highest converted mana cost among permanents you control. Um, it's currently seeing play in just under 4,000 decks, so it's not unplayed, but I want to specifically challenge it in a couple of decks. It's only in 10% of Octavia decks, for example. <laughs> um, that's a commander that, number one, has uh, Ward 8, so it's going to be very difficult for anyone to remove it in response, but it's also a 10 <laughs> CMC commander. <laughs> You're just going to draw 10 cards for five right there, and people aren't going to be able to respond to it at all. It's in, you know, I said 10% of those decks. It should be in way more Octavia decks. It is ridiculously efficient. And there's a few other places it should see play, too. You have things like the Ur-Dragon, where it's going to draw you nine cards, and it's only in 1% of Ur-Dragon decks. A Tiamat, it's only in a 1% of Tiamat decks, where it's going to draw you seven. That's just the commanders. Those decks tend to be both filled with a bunch of large, giant dragons, too. So even ignoring your commander, you're just going to have probably a giant beater in play. Mm. There's just a lot of commanders out there that have a fairly high CMC, and you're already in blue anyway, so you can protect yourself after the casting the spell. It's just very, very efficient, and if you are playing a commander with a pretty high casting cost or filled with the high casting cost cards in blue, you should give Rush of Knowledge a look. It's very, very efficient. That is a super cool one. Dana, I've been using that in my, uh, what is it, in my Sphinx deck, my Yannette deck as well. 
um, because I have a lot of seven drops in that deck by dint of Yunette's ability. I, I really like this draw spell. I agree with Dana. Definitely play this one. It's really interesting. Um, speaking of commanders that have black and white in them, I want to move to my challenge here for a black and white card that I've been eyeing more and more recently for any of my decks that can play it. And that's the card Batwing Broom, which honestly, I'm surprised I haven't challenged before. Batwing Broom is a two mana instant that says you prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn if you paid white to cast the spell. And each player loses one life for each attacking creature that they control if black was spent to cast this spell. Okay, so Batwing Broom is a fog that also, if someone was attacking you for like 10 creatures, they lose 10 life. And it's only showing up in like 1400 decks. This is such a great Uno reverse card to pull on your opponents. If someone's coming at you with a big force of a bunch of tokens, this could totally just knock them right out of the game instead. And it still protects you. You do have to be very particular about the mana to use it, but there are plenty of commanders where this isn't too much of an issue. And I think specifically there are some commanders that really ought to be using this. Like I'm seeing here it's only showing up in about 2% of Liesa Shroud of Dusk decks. And that is a commander that specifically is very, very Punisher. It's the Black White Angel that makes your opponents lose life every time they cast spells. I mean, you also lose life when you cast spells, but you're playing a life gain deck, so you don't mind that much, and you want to punish them as much as possible. So you can now, with Batring Broom, also punish them whenever they try to attack you with their creatures and make them lose even more life in your Punisher deck. This is a very, very cool fog that could actually like win you the game, so I just think you should give it a look and that it ought to show up in more than 1,400 decks. I mean, Batring Broom is the old anti-Splinter Twin tech from the modern days when that was Ooh. a deck, so yes, Batwing Broom... <laughs> verified if you're if you're playing against token decks you can do some knockout punches for sure i may or may not be spoiling some cards that i've packed against one mr matt morgan who's constantly making a lot of tokens and attacking people with them so i'm trying to find other ways to protect myself against you <laughs> I'm, I'm not making tokens i'm just making a few things big that that's it not so. just a few things just just a few just a small handful of 100 human tokens of course <laughs> no they're, they're just regular humans they're not tokens i promise 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 oh, mm -hmm. all right let's move to your challenge then man well my challenge this week is from one of our listeners who went to patreon.com slash edh retcast and then they, they subscribed and they, they submitted a challenge uh which they're able to do there uh but jj mickey one of our, our patrons said uh, so you find some prisoners is a card that i love it's included highly in prosper tomebound decks around 80 percent but then its inclusion rate drops off dramatically for other commanders. And for those of you who don't know, you find some prisoners is one in a red for an instant uh, that says you can choose one. Either you destroy target artifact or you exile the top three cards of target opponent's library. Choose one of them and until the end of your next turn, you may play that card and you may spend mana as though or uh, mana of any color to cast it. So there are a few decks that like that. Uh, it is a little narrow because you are exiling the top cards of an opponent's library, but uh, I feel like uh, Nasari, Dean of Expression, might be able to use that because when you're exiling cards from top of libraries, you're able to do a whole bunch of manipulation. You're casting spells from exile, and there's all sorts of different commanders these days that also like to, to be doing those types of things. Uh, so JJ Mickey also says uh, it's not as highly played and comparable uh, with a braid, but uh, personally finds that uh, you find some prisoners has to be the better of the two cards. So a lot of arguments for that. I think it's just a nifty card to be able to be getting all sorts of just different card advantage. There's flexibility there, there's modality, whether you need to get rid of somebody's big problem artifact, or you just need to find some answers. And you 
the nice part about it is the more powerful your opponents are as far as how they build their decks, the more powerful this card is because you get to be looking at some of their own cards. <laughs> uh, if they're doing some top deck manipulation as well, you have a little bit of flexibility. Oh, you're tutoring for something and putting it on the top of your library, huh? Um, I'm just going to exile it. That's fine. Don't worry. No big deal. Yeah, so you find some prisoners. There is a lot of flexibility there. So if you have some room for it, if you're playing cards like a braid, like JJ Mickey says, this might be worth taking a second look at. Yeah, that's a really fun challenge. And Matt, I, I absolutely look forward to the day where you specifically use this to uh, prevent someone else from using a vampiric tutor to get whatever they want on top of their deck and then you steal it instead. That, that That's really spicy. I, I fully anticipate being able to do that, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move back into our main topic here. We are going to finish with the final three monocolors and these staple cards that appear throughout the format, but these are the commanders that don't want to use staples. And actually, since I just mentioned a tutor there, let's start off with the color black with one of its most famous cards, Demonic Tutor. What are the commanders that would specifically not bother going and get a Demonic Tutor? Well, Matt, as it happens, one of your commanders is actually right here at the top of the list of commanders that don't bother playing Demonic Tutor. It's Vevictus Asmati the Dyer. Of the 1,200 Vevictus decks, only 8.4% of them are actually playing Demonic Tutor. Vevictus is the Chaos Warpy commander kind of guy, so can you share with us why you wouldn't feel the need to go and get any card from your deck when you're Chaos Warping everyone's permanence? Well, besides the obvious price argument that we already mentioned, we're not going to bring up too much. Mm. So Vevictus Asmati specifically is flipping cards from the top of your library where Demonic Tutor puts something into your hand. So... I feel like a lot of Vevictus players, if they're looking for a tutor type of card, they're going to be playing Vamp Tutor or Vampiric Tutor, I should say, mm. instead of Demonic Tutor. That's a big, big distinction because whenever you tutor for something, typically you want it because you're going to cast it the next turn. But Vevictus wants stuff on top of their library. So Vevictus as Mahdi, obviously, you don't want stuff in your hand. You want it on the top of your library. So Demonic Tutor itself is kind of a non-bow with what your commander is able to do. Uh, the next black staple we're going to talk about here is Phyrexian Arena. Uh, going back to the early days of Commander, this was a black staple, just a way to draw a free card every turn at the cost of just one life. And there's a couple of commanders that don't really want to run it in, in the numbers that other decks do. Kadena Slinking Sorcerer, for example. Only 1% of Kadena decks want to run Phyrexian Arena. Wow. And yeah, and this is a commander that, number one, has draw baked into it, mm. and it's a commander that's very interested in doing morph stuff, so a lot of slots in that deck are used up as well. It probably just doesn't necessarily need Phyrexian Arena like a lot of other decks do. And another commander that jumps out, too, is is an oldie but a goodie, if you will. Uh, Nekasar the Mind Razor, the, the old Grixis zombie wizard, uh, probably doesn't want to look at Phyrexian Arena too much because it probably doesn't need it. Either <laughs> Nekasar is going to combo out and make everybody draw their entire libraries all in one turn, or they already have that type of effect built in. Uh, Nekasar's ability just says at the beginning of each player's draw step, you draw an additional card, and then whenever an opponent draws a card, Nekasar deals one damage to that player. So you don't really need Fire Arena because that ability is already stapled onto Nekasar itself. And then the deck also proceeds to play a ton of wheel effects. So <laughs> yeah. just being able to draw one card a turn just pales in comparison to the explosive turns that the, the commander is able to pull off. 
Oh, yeah. Don't need to be playing any arena when you can be playing Windfall all over the place to draw a brand new hand every turn anyhow. That's, yeah, definitely one that doesn't need to go out of its way for the arena at all. Uh, but that brings us to here another, our final uh, black staple that we'll talk about is Toxic Deluge, the board wipe where you pay life to give everything minus X minus X, where X is the amount that you paid. Which commanders are like, mm, Toxic Deluge ain't for me. Let's take a look. And weirdly, we see that Trin and Silvar, the human tribal pair, they are a commander pair that don't really care to play Toxic Deluge. About 2.7% of the 2,000 Trin and Silvar decks don't even really bother. And actually right behind them, Admiral Beckett Brass. Of the 2,600 Admiral Beckett Brass decks, 3.2% of them are playing the Toxic Deluge, which leaves like 97% of those decks are not. So this is a very interesting one. We're seeing these commanders that just kind of don't care to play these types of board wipes. I assume because they're already in colors that have so many other options for board wipes, maybe? Yeah, that's what jumps out at me, too. They're they're in colors that have access to red for the Blasphemous Axe-style board wipe or white for all the board wipes white has, or in a lot of these cases, red and white. So there's there's just a <laughs> lot of uh, a co- competition for those board wipe slots. And in, in various cases, they lose just as making the cut. Yeah, honestly, that makes the most sense to me, too. It seems like they have so many options, they don't need it. But actually, hey, Dana, you just mentioned Blasphemous Act. Let's use that as a segue right into the color red now. Can you tell us which commanders take a look at Blasphemous Act and decide that they don't need to go out of their way to play that one either? Which commanders don't care about an effectively one mana, 13 damage to the board type of spell? There's the obvious ones, the five color commanders, the the Nikia that doesn't let you cast non-creature spells, for example. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have a few of those. You have uh, you also have some some commanders here that have access to white, for example, in Gavi Nest Warden and Jirina Kudro. Um, you're all the Mist Doctor as well. So in this case, I think there's also a situation where sometimes Blasphemous Act is is edged out despite its crazy efficiency by access to other colors with other board wipes that that may work slightly better depending on the commander's configuration. And a lot of times too. Ural the Mistalker decks just don't care about what the opponents are doing because Ural gets so big so fast. So Ural, if, Ural hasn't been played for a long time. Uh, it's the Naya commander that uh, can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control, so hexproof. And then Ural the Mistalker gets plus two, plus two for each aura attached to it. And it's already a five, five. So Ural the Mistalker is able to get extremely large in with just zero effort. Just accidentally you have a 15-15 and by then, you can give it double strike, you can give it lifelink, you can do all sorts of different things to make sure that Ural's just, like, pounding a crater into where your friends used to be. <laughs> oh, that's that's terrific. And I totally I, I totally agree. I, for a, a very brief time, had a Ural deck, and it was indeed so good that it's just, like, board. I don't even care about the board. I can block an infinite number of creatures, and I have protection from creatures, and you can't block me, and you're also dead before I even need to bother. So, yeah, absolutely on board with that. Uh, let's go from Blasphemous Act to another super intense red staple here. Let's talk about Dockside Extortionist. Let's talk about the goblin that makes treasures for each artifact and enchantment that your opponents have. Let's talk about the commanders that choose not to play Dockside Extortionist. Quick caveat, we're not including any commanders that aren't playing it for tribal reasons. You know, if if a vampire deck isn't playing this goblin card, that's not the thing that we're here for. We want to find useful and pragmatic uh, information for you guys. So let's move past any tribal examples and we go right to find Obun Moldaya Ancestor. Doesn't care about the goblin. 
presumably because it's such a good landfall deck that it doesn't need other sources of ramp. It doesn't really need to bother all that much at all. And in fact, uh, the same is kind of true for Roshin Meanderer, a green-red deck that can tap to add a bunch of mana so that you can play X spells. And it's like, ah, my commander taps for a bunch of mana. I think I'm probably fine without needing to go and get this, what is it, 80 dollar goblin or something like that like both of those decks play dockside extortionists at a rate of uh, less than two percent which is pretty intense to see and honestly good for them and one commander that specifically doesn't care about making all the manas because they're doing it already which obun and roshin meander are already doing but rien angel of rebirth that's a commander that actually cares specifically because the ability on rien says other multicolor creatures you control get plus one plus oh and then whenever they die you return them to the owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. That is fairly interesting where you want to be maximizing the amount of multicolor creatures you're playing. And Dockside Extortionist is mono red. You're not able to benefit from either of Rian's abilities. So it's not really a surprise there that maybe Rian just doesn't care about that because you want to be maximizing the efficiency of Rian's abilities. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at that. And of the 540 Riendex, only eight are using the Extortionist from among those. So, yeah, I totally see that. Well, in looking at the, the last red staple here in our list, Chaos Warp, a uh, fantastic card that removes anything and maybe gives your opponent something better, I guess, is, is the downside. Um, sometimes. Sometimes, <laughs> right. Um, in, in looking at the decks that don't want Chaos Warp here, it tends to be, again, three-color decks that probably have access to other forms of removal. Chaos Warp is great in red because it can solve problems red can't solve. Well, if you're playing a Gavi Nest Warden or a Jirina Kudro and you have access to white, they can also hit almost anything. Um, or in the case of Crash the Bloodbraided, have access to green that can, well, also tend to hit anything. You maybe don't need that Chaos Warp with a potential downside as, you much, as much as you might if you didn't have access to, to white and uh, green. That absolutely makes sense. If you're playing Mardu like the Jirina Kudro you mentioned... I, I can see why only 8% of Jirina Kudro players are, are playing Chaos Warp because they're already busy using all of the great black and white removal staples instead. Uh, so they don't have great use of it. And the same for, for uh, Gavi going on as well. But Crash, I would even say that Crash goes a step further. I see only 10% of Crash decks are playing Chaos Warp. Crash wants things to die. If Crash is going to play a removal spell, Crash wants it to be a destroy effect so that if you aim it at a creature, Crash gets a bunch of plus one counters. Well, an example of a removal spell Crash would probably use to put those counters on Crash would be Beast Within over in the color green. Hey, that segue. Let's move to green. <laughs> I love it. It's a smooth, smooth transition from Mr. Roach. So Beast Within is that three mana destroy target permanent, and then its owner creates a 3-3 three, three beast token. It's been around for a long time, and just it's found so many ways to get into so many different decks. But again, there's... Some commanders that are kind of giving it a second look, uh, including Vivictus Asmati the Dire. That's one that you you can just target things with Vivictus's ability to make your opponent sacrifice them. But Moldrotha the Gravetide is actually a commander that when you start digging into what Moldrotha does and recurring all your permanents, maybe there just isn't space for a beast within when you can be playing some executioner's capsules and other type of removal there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Only the fourteen percent of the Good Lord, 6,400 Moldrotha decks? Yeah, only 14% of them are playing Beast Within and only 15% of Vevictus. But, like, I, I get it. Moldrotha wants permanence to recur. And Vevictus, 
doesn't need to use things that destroy permanents because that's what Vivictus does. Matt, I've, I've played against your Vivictus deck plenty of times to know that I am going to have something removed on my board every single turn. So you don't need to waste extra removal spells on me. You can just play a bunch of other seven drops instead. Yep, just chaos warp your own battlefield. That's fine. There you go. Yeah, this is still a very, really pervasive staple, I'll say. Like, you know, the commanders that we mentioned there, they're still showing up in like 15%-ish. So there's plenty of reasons, uh, you know, to, to, to still play that one. And again, actually, I think I'll need to throw out the caveat here that we are automatically ignoring Nikia of the old ways, like we did for red. Red spells, the, the same will be true for green spells here too. Nikia automatically wins all of it. If you want to find the commander that wins this entire episode, it's Nikia. Nikia doesn't play a lot of spells because the commander literally says it can't. So again, we're ignoring those. But anyway, that's a big caveat. Let's move on to talk about another green staple. Dana, What's going on with Eternal Witness? What decks do not like the little three-mana creature that gets stuff back from your graveyard? What's going on there? The first one that pops up here on our list is Rayami, First of the Fallen. And Rayami has some text right there in the very first line. If a non-token creature would die, exile that card with a blood counter on it instead. So just by virtue of how your commander works, you're just going to have less targets to hit with an Eternal Witness when you're playing a Rayami deck than most people would have. And as a result, it's only showing up in 4% of Rayami decks. Well, an Experiment Kraj is another one that maybe doesn't want to be getting stuff around because Experiment Kraj is so heavy on plus one, plus one counters. And more specifically than that, even getting activated abilities where Eternal Witnesses and Enter the Battlefield ability. Mm. Experiment Kraj specifically wants activated abilities. So since there is none there, you probably don't want to be looking at it. Now, yes, the utility is still nice from Eternal Witness, but... When you start looking at Experiment Kraj decks specifically, you want those activated abilities just to be able to kind of consume everything within sight, kind of like what is happening on the card. Yeah, only 7% of the Experiment Kraj decks playing Eternal Witness. It, it, it genuinely tracks. Like if you are going to be playing creatures in that deck, it makes sense that you would want as many of them to have cool abilities that your commander can copy. And you can use more, you can use spells to get back stuff if you absolutely need to do that. But your creatures, you want them to be doing something very special for that type of deck. So those are both really, really interesting. Um, and I guess that should move us on now to uh, Dana, a personal favorite of yours. Matt, a personal favorite of yours. Actually, it's a personal favorite of mine, too. I guess it's all of our favorite. We all really like Heroic Intervention. Heroic Intervention is an amazing green staple. So many decks are playing this one. Indestructible and Hexproof for all of our stuff. But which commanders are not using Heroic Intervention? Well, this kind of harkens back a little bit to what we were talking about with Teferi's Protection and the Reanimator decks that aren't playing it. Heroic Intervention is showing up least in some commanders like Moldrotha again or Izoni Thousand-Eyed. Like only 4.7% of Izoni decks are playing Heroic Intervention. And that is a deck that is very graveyard heavy. If you care about, quote, protecting your board, well, you can probably just get away with sacrificing everything and then doing a little bit of reanimation and that will reclaim your board. And you don't need to go out of your way to get this $20 heroic intervention card instead. Yeah, that, that tends to be the, the situation with the couple of other commanders here as well that don't want to run it. Yidris Maelstrom Wielder just probably doesn't want to cascade into heroic intervention where it's not going to be that <laughs> useful. And we talked about Maldrotha earlier. The same situation is true here. Maldrotha probably wants to be doing as many things as possible using permanents that it can recur versus spells it can only use one time. Fun stuff, fun stuff indeed. But y'all, that brings us to our final three for green, our final three green staples that we're actually going to tackle all at once. Let's talk about the decks that do not care to play the ramp package of Sakura Tribe Elder, Kodama's Reach, 
and Cultivate, some of the most famous ramp effects for green in the entire format. Let's start with Sakura Tribe Elder. What are the decks that do not care to play Sakura Tribe Elder? They don't care about this little snake finding you lands. The answer is Enchantress. Enchantress decks do not mind about Sakura Tribe Elder basically at all. Like Estrid the Masked, for example, only 1.8% of Estrid players are playing Sakura Tribe Elder in their decks. And the same is roughly true for Sithis Harvest's Hand. That is a two-mana commander, and it's so efficient with all of your other enchantment forms of ramp that you don't need to use a creature to ramp. You've got so many other things that can attach right to your lands. Your fertile grounds, your wild growths, like those Enchantress decks are going to be so much better served by playing those types of ramp instead. So Sakura Tribe Elder is ousted from those biles, they do not mind. But that's just the creature. What about the spells? What about the Kodama's Reach and the Cultivates, Matt? Uh, Lathral Blade of the Elves. Only 6.7% of decks are playing Kodama's Reach, which is kind of crazy, but also elf tribal decks don't really need a lot of help making mana. They already have, they already have Lanor Elves and Elvish Mystics and Elvish Elf mm. and LV Elvis and, and all those other <laughs> mana generating elf creatures that just play into the strategy of the deck but also you see a little bit of those those enchantress style decks in there too you have esther the masked that doesn't play either kadama's reach or cultivate which is another testament to how powerful those enchantment mana ramp mm. packages are for those decks you also have commanders like Edric's Five Master of Trust, a card that also runs a bunch of mana dorks just needs those three mana spells to ramp out way less than, than other decks sometimes do. And then, you know what? I think I got to shout out a personal favorite that I see among the commanders that don't play these ramp spells, Hogak Arisen Necropolis, which is that amazing thing that broke modern for a short time, uh, where you can't spend mana to cast that spell. You have to convoke and delve that spell instead. So you have to use your creatures and your graveyard to cast this one. That deck doesn't give a hoot about playing things that get you lands. It can't use them. It doesn't want them. It wants little creatures to convoke. It wants more stuff on your graveyard. That's going to give it so much more mana than if you were to play a three-mana ramp spell. So it's just so cool to see some of these cards here that we associate as being staples of the format. And there are a bevy of different commanders out there that are like, yeah, no thanks. I've got a bunch of different ways that I will find the ramp that I prefer. And it's nice to see that type of variety. Oh, and again, as a final reminder, one more time, we did, for the sake of this episode, largely ignore some of those five-color commanders like Nib Mizzet Reborn would have been all over this episode if we had included him. He would have been number one for nearly every card we talked about. Um, Nikia of the Old Ways was another standout. Cody Vociferous Codex, a commander that also struggles with playing certain types of permanents. Those are definite standouts, but there were a lot of examples among five-color. So just as a reminder, there are some exceptions to the stuff that we talked about here, but we wanted to find you guys the most important data from among those and not just talk about Nikia all episode, you know. Uh, so that's just a thing to point out. But those are very staple resistant commanders that I think here at the end, we should give a nice big honorable mention. Thank you so much, Cody. Thank you so much, Nikia. Thank you so much, Nib Mizzet Reborn for being so staple resistant. I'm, I'm shocked I haven't built any of those decks just to be a hipster about it. <laughs> you know, that actually... That strikes me as a very important thing there, Dana. It's true. You're a resident hipster guy, but usually you'd love avoiding staples, and yet you haven't built these staple-resistant decks. What's going on there, friend? I, I think it's it's just so cliche that these commanders avoid staples. I don't want <laughs> to be that person. I might have to brew them up and just run all staples. So, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing from Dana here is that he's too hipster to be hipster. Is <laughs> yeah, that what's going on? That's I, I, I guess. I... 
I, I, he's gone like full circle. Like, I don't know what's going on. Some kind of like hipster Serpico type of moment. It's there's so many layers to what Dana's doing to the these days. The snake is now eating its own tail. Yes. We have gone full Ouroboros with it. That's really, really fun. <laughs> yeah. This, this was a really interesting episode. Honestly, looking through every single one of these cards, I saw a lot of different reasons where I would not want to play some of these cards. Like, you know, ending on the Cultivate example, my Marin of Clannell Toth deck is another deck that I personally have where I don't play that because I would rather that my ramp comes in the form of creatures. So looking over all of these, there are definitely reasons that you don't have to go out of your way to find these big spells that usually we can that are dominating the format. And there are certainly plenty of commanders that just, yeah, just like, yeah, don't need to, to go and get those because my deck can do perfectly fine without them. And there are always other options to choose. So even if a staple is really, really expensive, you don't have to go and find it. There are so many other cool techniques that these commanders teach us about how we can get around those, quote, staples. Yeah, we didn't touch on this this either, but like, you know, I'm sure we all have some of our own examples as well. Um, I do have an Edrix by Master of Trest deck that isn't running Soul Ring, for example. It didn't come up on the list here, but I'm not running a Soul Ring in the deck just because so many of the creatures and spells are just one drops that I just don't have that much use necessarily for colorless mana. Um, it winds up being a rock that I found when I had it in play. There was just a lot of situations where it didn't do me any good. Um, not only did I have a fair share of mana dorks in there, I just didn't have things that I could use the mana for. Well, I, on the other hand, am very excited. We got to talk about one of my commanders, uh, Vivictus Asmati the Dire. That's one that we mentioned a few times as not playing staples. And for the sake of my wallet, I'm kind of glad that the typical deck isn't playing Demonic <laughs> Tutor and a few of those other cards because um, I like to keep that deck as as relatively budget as I can. So... But yeah, it, it is fun to be able to find different loopholes within what the commander's doing so that you don't have to worry about some of these other cards. That, you know, typically you would think, oh, I have to be playing card X, Y, Z, whereas, well, with this commander, I actually don't need that. And that just opens up a few more slots in the 99 for some more spice. And I'm always open to seeing some of those types of cards. Mm hmm. I think really, Matt, since your commander came up more often than Dana's, we might have to give the resident hipster title to you and take it away from Dana. There it is. There it is. Because, uh, because ha ha. Good. I'm going yeah. to grow and, a mustache and, now and, and drink cold coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll also have to use your naming scheme for all of the elf tribal decks out there. Elfie McElfface will be the next elf tribal commander. There deck. it is. I mean, it can't there be it worse is. than Cody the Codex or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Cody McCodeface. We're, yes. we're going there. All right. Listeners, we would love to hear from you about which commanders you play that don't run a bunch of these staples. What is your most staple-resistant deck? It's a really interesting exercise. We would love to hear from you. But for now, let's call this episode to a close. Fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you all? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over twitch.tv slash EDHRecast. So make sure you tune in for that as well. We have guests on every single week, and it's always a great time. So come on and join the fun. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitterbirds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. 
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.